Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, well, back from the brink, Sunderland have brought back the hope. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, though? Good. We're being positive tonight. It's definitely a good thing. Right, one of the Echo Boys is here. Uh, Chris Young, I've just realised that makes you sound like half of a pop group from the 1980s or something who had mild success, the Echo Boys. Um, he's going to talk about us building our hopes up further. I'm sure he feels a pain, like we all do. Dave Jones from Sky Sports is here as well. How easy was that for you, Dave? Because um, you were you were on duty for the Chelsea game, weren't you? How, do, you do you keep your emotions in check, OK? I have to say that was probably my, well, the certainly hardest game I've had to do for Sky, I would think. Um, I didn't think it was going to be, I admit. And then um, with about half an hour to go, 20 minutes, just starting to get a bit cagey. And then when we got a penalty, I was in that kind of I can't look phase. <laughs> uh, you know, your insides just shrivel up and shrink. Um, this is not what you're mentally prepared for. Um, and there was. It was very difficult to concentrate at the end for, for that first kind of few minutes when you are, my job is to pick up from the commentators and react to what we've just seen. Um, that was that was really tough. And my voice was going a little bit. Mm. <laughs> um, but then you have a, an ad break to sort of pull yourself together. And, and it's my job then to actually think about the, the big story, which is it's not just that Sunderland have won, but it's also the fact that Chelsea have capitulated yeah. and they've done it in a grand style as well throwing toys out the pram and whatnot and, mm. and that becomes the kind of the the um, dominant editorial story I suppose the one thing with my sympathies there was that I was able to identify what a big story it was for Sunderland as well and perhaps that might have been lost otherwise um, so I insisted that we we asked that um, Gus to speak down the line to us in the studio which um, he very kindly did um, and, and made it a really nice balanced story I think in our post-match but yeah it was really really tough it's a, it's a dead cert that Sunderland are, are going to be on the Premier League years for this season, featured heavily, aren't they, in years to come. At least we've got that if we get relegated. We can always watch back and Sunderland are going to be a sort of prominent feature, aren't they, in the Premier League years because there's been some massive results for us well, this absolutely, season. absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm actually going to Liverpool on Sunday. I'm not going to be at um, the Stadium of Light. Um, and I think that if anyone finds out that I'm a Sunderland fan, they'll be red carpet out for me. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. I've had I've had some texts from from my friends there. Well, contacts down Liverpool, like, and they are very grateful. Thanks for Jordan. Thanks for um, Simon, and thanks for the points. Man City and Chelsea, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but right, Gareth, I'm going to start with you because credit where it's due. I don't give you much. Let's be fair. <laughs> um, and you did say that you sort of you were hopeful in the way that Chelsea don't create loads of chances against sides who play in the manner that we did. So. It's nice that you're right for once. Well, yeah, I was. First time everything. <laughs> well, it's not. I'm not going to claim full credit. Um, well, you said the same before Tottenham when we got done yeah, five yeah, exactly, one, so yeah, it didn't yeah. fill me with confidence. Yeah, exactly. No, um, I just felt that they they have struggled this season against those def- teams who defend well, and although we do make the occasional error that costs us in games, um, I, I don't think we're a particularly bad team defensively. We've only been battered, probably. Once under, well, twice under Poyet, obviously Swansea and and, and Spurs, um, and you know I think we've we've done we've done okay. Obviously, Virginie played right back again, like we we discussed. We thought he might keep the same side. Some thought about bringing Bardi back in, but potentially. Um, but I I don't think Bardi could come in, could he? It was a choice it's between Gar- yeah, it's Gar- mm. it was Gardner who was the probably the the option, um, and he was ill or injured or whatever, so. Um, Again, people are probably thinking, oh, if if they get out, so could be in bother. But you know, defensively, the solid Catamol again, screening that back four, excellent Larson, brilliant again in the middle in those doing the dirty work. And he's got a ridiculous record. Actually, Larson, something like in the last nine games he's played, we haven't lost. 
Aside the, from the cup a, final, a similar statistic with George Allardyce playing on notice the other day as well. I know. Um, yeah, I, w- I won't I won't tell people one of the faces one of the lads just pulled in there. <laughs> right, uh, Chris, we defended similar to how we did against well how we normally do against Man City successfully, didn't we? I mean, we resorted them to you know they resorted to taking shots from distance and yeah, and it, well. it wasn't exactly back to the wall stuff, was it? They just stuck to the game plan, didn't they? I mean, they, they showed Chelsea's creative players inside, but then didn't let them have masses of pop shots from the edge of the area. Um, and as Gareth touched on, the back four were superb. Two centre-halves put blocks in through the heads on the line constantly. Uh, and the two full-backs did very well as well. Um, Alonso suffered a bit of a dip in form post-cup final, as most of them did. But I think last couple of games he started to find something again. And Virginie looks a, a far more assured customer as a right back. <laughs> he certainly does, doesn't he? You mentioned the upturn in performance since Spurs there. I think that goes for them all. David, are we just hoping this was a little wobble for Gus then? Because we, what we noticed early on when Gus came was we, we were sort of you know, harpooned to the bottom of the table and we were surprised how how fast he implemented his style on, onto a group of players we weren't sure would be capable of actually doing it. Now, after the League Cup final... The players stopped passing the ball and they, they looked like they were in all sorts of trouble, didn't they? But slowly but surely, the last three games, that looks like it's coming back, doesn't it? So we, we think this is hoping this was just a wobble from Gus, like like all all managers and all teams have. Yeah, I'm sure Chris will know a lot more than me about what's been going on behind the scenes. I've heard some pretty unpleasant stories, I have to say. Um, one or two very troubling rumours about disquiet and uh, discord within the camp. Um, which is why I asked Gus the question post-match on Saturday whether his heart was in this fight and I was pleased with the answer when he said uh, it's more than in it um, you know I think there has been no smoke you know no smoke without fire they say and I think there has been one or two rumblings um, according to my sources who are pretty good um, I, I think that we were we needed a break somewhere along the line because it was it was it was troubling the way we seemed to be disappearing without uh, without too much fight. Um, and I think that we've got that break now on Saturday. Um, we've seen in that performance a rejuvenation for one or two. Yeah, you see the signs have been coming, but um, it needed them to see out a game. It needed them to score a couple of goals and to know they can do that, albeit one from the penalty spot. Um, and I just, I just feel that maybe now... Um, Maybe now the confidence will flood through the players. This week will, will have had to have been a really positive week on the training ground. Um, Gus will have had to be spreading positive messages to the players. There'll have been a feel-good factor in Sunderland all week. Um, it was great to see Barini be as calm from the penalty spot. He needed that goal, I think, to get going again. Um, and I have to say, I feel pretty confident. <laughs> moving forward which is crazy based on what we've seen so far this season remember what that hope um, is here don't do it don't do it to yourself <laughs> that's what my brother said just enjoy just enjoy it on Saturday and forget about the rest of the season <laughs> yeah Chris credit where it's due though I mean um, you know we talk about momentum now uh, obviously people talk about it with Liverpool at the other end of the table how it can be very hard to stop momentum can't it it's a sort of a phenomenon nobody quite understands but it's confidence more than anything in football but it works the other end of the scale as well doesn't it and since Wembley Sunderland had that downwards momentum yeah. and credit where it's due you go into a week where you play Manchester City away Chelsea away both teams looking for the titles to sort of break that momentum yeah. and sort of get yourself back on the upwards trajectory that's not an easy thing to do is it no I think I think there were signs against in the Everton game certainly I mean the performance was far better that day I mean he certainly deserved at least a draw coming mm. out of that game. I think whoever scored first in that game it was going to win. It was one of yeah. those, wasn't it? And, and, uh, uh, they were desperately unfortunate with the Wes Brown own goal. Um, but as you said, the post Wembley, that this losing mentality it, it sat, sat, it sat in again. Um, it was almost like they'd gone back, gone back to the beginning. They'd gone back to mm. old habits. Uh, and as you say, it's tough to break them. So, so enormous credit has to go to the players for the for the commitment that they've shown over the last two games. Uh, and from the from the players I've spoken to post Chelsea, I think you, you sense now there is a real determination to make them to make the most of this second chance. I think because they, they have almost come back from mm. the dead because no one was giving them a prayer. I think Gareth James Hunt was on last week and he, he made a great analogy, didn't he, about 
how all these sides near the bottom have these little results, put, string these results together, and it's almost like a game of musical chairs down at the bottom. Who's going to be the one free when the music stops? So it's it's important that we keep that momentum going. Obviously, goes without saying, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's you know, but I've criticised him heavily in the Who, past. James Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 James. If you listen, I've never criticised you. Um, the it, Connor Wickham, you know, mm. I mean, I've massively put the boot in on him before because he frustrated us with his attitude and I think it was justified at the time um, but in the last three games he's been excellent and it's it's something that maybe in, in, in the play that we've, we've in the way we try to play where we've got one up front who needs to hold it and players haven't done that and he's started to hold it um, and he's following in on the keeper and scoring goals um, he's getting into you know three classic strikers goals in a week really um, you know follow up Tap in at the back post in a you know a run and finish, um, yeah. So you know we haven't had a striker who's scoring goals like that in, in a while, probably since Fletcher. So you know credit to him and talking about momentum, he's got momentum now. He's got confidence, and you look you that you wouldn't be surprised with the way Cardiff defend um, if he gets a couple of chances and mm. the confidence is there to put them away at the weekend. Couple of, couple of incidents on Conor Wickham specifically, Dave. Um, there was one when he held the ball up well and laid it off to Brini, who had sort of a half chance from 25 yards at nil-nil. Proper typical centre-forward player, which we've not really seen from Connor. But also he's finished because although he, he was, you know, it was a spill by the keeper, he, he was yeah. close. Yeah. Generally, you see centre-forwards lash at those and it would go straight in the keeper. He's had the composure, dink the ball over well, the top of the ball. Yeah, he's had a player full of confidence. I yeah. spoke to, um, I spoke to Peter, Peter Bigree a few months back when he was playing at Sheffield Wednesday and, and banging the goals in, and, and Pete was really impressed to judge of a player. Um, it's one thing, as we know, doing it in the Championship, as he had done previously with Ipswich, and then stepping up and doing it in the Premier League, which, for some reason, that shirt was just weighing heavy on him. The transfer fee, I don't think it helped him at the time. Um, he needed to be wanted and loved, and that was never the case, obviously, with him, and hadn't been previously... Uh, with Poyet either, um, I think he probably feels this is his moment to show everybody that he is a Premier League player. I think that's the case with a lot of these players right now. They are playing for their futures, whether it's at Sunderland or elsewhere. You know, there's much publicity around the players who are out of contract, those who are disappearing on loans. But for those who are on longer contracts, you know, they're also playing for a move. I mean, let's be brutally honest about this. Some of them are trying to catch the eye of other teams right now, um, especially if Sunderland are relegated. Um, the one thing I would say about um, Conor Wickham, I was watching the game with Glenn Hoddle on Saturday, um, Clang, and uh, we also watched <laughs> a lot of this stuff of the under 21s with Conor playing, and, and I have to tell you, Glenn was never impressed. He didn't see a centre-forward in him, just with his lack of movement off the ball, the positions mm-hmm. he was taking up. But Glenn was really taken aback watching him on Saturday, and he said to me, you know, this is a, this is a transformed player. Whether that's through confidence, whether that's just going away somewhere else and growing up a little bit, I don't know. I, but, um, I think it's you know, that signs ma- are really good. I think it's that maturing process, Dave. Because I mean, when you, when you arrive at yeah. seventeen for eight million quid, you've got money in your pocket. It's difficult, isn't it? Particularly grasping what comes with being a Premier League footballer. Because when it, if he's been six foot plus at every age group, even going into the Ipswich first team, it's come easy to him, and then suddenly he's had to work at things. And that, and that takes time to get your head around. So I think that's one aspect yeah. of it. The other, the other thing is uh, that learning to be a, a target man is not an easy business. You, you need to well, learn the, the dark thing, arts of a being a really centre point, forward. Chris, because I don't think he ever considered himself that. No, and no. And Ipswich certainly never played as that player. No, he, he didn't. He played a bit deeper. play from the left, uh, sometimes playing behind, sometimes play with somebody else up top. Um, but it's obvious that, that teams want him to do that because of the way he's built. I mean, he, he's a fantastic athlete. Um you know, I think that, like you say, that that comes with maturity of learning to play that role. I mean, you, you need you need to sort of learn the dark arts of being a centre forward. When you look at someone like Kevin Davis, I mean, he, he didn't really really find his peak until his late twenties. Or so, Quinny, or Quinny as well, yeah. So, so doing it when you're a teenager is and suddenly you're very you're, you're th- thrown in the Premier League, yeah. aren't you? And you've got to bear in mind as well that. When Steve Bruce signed him, he was he was more or less a replacement for Darren Bent, wasn't he? Yeah. Who, who he let go yeah. for, for for big money yeah. because he was a marquee signing that yeah. summer, wasn't he? And not a lot of us knew much about think, him. Well, he was severely hyped at the time. He was a player, like I said it before, when we signed him, I was delighted because everyone was saying, you know, this guy's well, going to yeah, be... Chris, Chris and Graham got us all excited, you mean. Well, it was, it was, <laughs> Steve, Steve, Steve Bruce said to us, he said, this is the best young player I've seen since Wayne Rooney. Mm-hmm. Genuinely, yeah. this was this was a couple of months before he'd even signed him. But, but this it, goes back to your point about being a man in a boys' game. This and is that's it. what he was, yeah. and that's why he, he stood out so much. I think. Yeah, yeah. But I like you know. I think that you can 
question nothing. There were there was question marks. There was question marks over his, you know, desire to do the things that maybe he didn't want to do if he didn't want to hold it or whatever. You know, I think his attitude has changed, and that's that. You know, we've, it's funny, like you said, he's helped himself, about, hasn't he? Yeah, he's he, finally he, helped himself. You particularly, about, particularly on the training field, I think. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned about Glenn Hoddle not rating him, Dave. I mean, we did a podcast with um, Gordon Armstrong, who, um, you know, he sees a lot of the um, the, the under twenty ones and stuff, and he's absolutely slaughtered him, didn't he? Yeah. You know, uh, and he's not the only person I've heard. Slaughter Connor Wickham, who's sort of been in the game and then does a lot of stuff with young players. Um, yeah. So I mean, like you were saying earlier, there's no smoke without fire. But I'm absolutely delighted that he's turned up finally, even if it's taken three years because it's not a bad time nobody, to do it. Is yeah. It? When we need somebody, and it looks as though he could be, you know, he could become he could become a hero and set himself he could set himself up for next season, regardless of what division we're in. If he scores goals and we go down, it'll be in spite of the fact that he. He did something at the end of the season, and he can take that into next season if he keeps us up. Absolutely, he can take that. And he's somebody can build a team round at yeah. that level as well. If, yeah. if indeed you do go down to the championship, he the might have to play by himself. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the other aspect I think is that the players clearly appreciate what he's doing in the team. I mean, they're suddenly playing forward passes again. Mm. Whereas I think when Altidore Fletcher and because they weren't able to hold it up and it kept going back at them, they'd, they'd stop playing those balls and kept going sideways. And it also has a knock-on effect, Chris, doesn't it? Because in a way, this is what we've needed one of these centre-folds to start putting in these performances. Because, I mean, what I mean by that is there's suddenly no desire for Barini to play up front again, for no, example, no. which is what people were sort of leaning towards. And that was almost yeah. out of desperation, wasn't it? But what we were saying was, if you move Barini away from that wide left position, you're taking a lot away from yeah. the side. So ne- it's nice just to iron those problems out as well, because that isn't an issue anymore now, is it? No, and as well, they've got multiple threats. They're not just relying on Johnson going on a maverick run, beating 82 players and, and <laughs> scoring, or Key delivering a pinpoint ball, mm-hmm. which would they were well, doing for large ports. And Key hasn't played the last two Key hasn't played. Well, you might not, you, you might I, not play I'm not sure he will season. do again, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, in a way, that might be handy. I mean, I know he's a good player, but they've got they've got a team, they've got a set eleven there who've looked good at the moment. And I think, regardless, he should he should stick. No matter who comes back or whatever, even if Bardi's back, or he should stick with the team. He should stick with the, uh, the well, team. Well, I'm surprised you say that, guys. I mean, I, again, you, you watched a lot more of the team than I have recently. Um, but I've seen a lot of Cardiff as well recently, and I know that they're going to score. Mm. Um, or I certainly would expect them yeah. to and I would just worry again um, about the scoring goals at home against these type of teams mm. um, and I just if, if anything I think we're set up well to contain sides with, with um, Larson in that midfield um, with with Catamol and Colback, but have we got enough to break teams mm. down? I think what's going what's going to be interesting is and we're, we're going to speak to Cardiff guests later but I think one thing I'm sort of optimistic about on that front, Dave, is that Cardiff need to come up here for a win. Now, Sunderland have notoriously struggled to break sides down who come up who are quite happy to come up for a nil-nil draw. Aren't they? As you say, Cardiff are likely to score. They're quite a high-scoring team. Will that play in our hands a little bit? It's going to be a more open game because I think what we've struggled with has been the sides who have, who have set out park their the shape to yeah, park the bus, as you say. As, as you say. Done a Mourinho. Well, I would, I would expect them to play on the counter from what I've seen of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they really troubled Everton doing that and at Goodison. Uh, they were a match for Liverpool in the first half of the game at Cardiff uh, a couple of weeks back and obviously Liverpool helped themselves in the second half. But they had a real goal threat on the break. Um, I, I Obviously, we need to win the game more than they do. Um, but they've got three games left. They've got to play us. They've got to play Newcastle. And they've got to play Chelsea. So they can't rely on those two games. And they probably could rely on the second one. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, you know, I think we need the points more than they do. And I would, I would just like to think that just because we've won a game like that doesn't mean you stick with that eleven. Pick your best team for the for each game. And if that means adding a little bit more creativity, I don't know where that comes from. If you say yeah, that he's not going to be available, not playing, that's it. So he's quite limited on that front, isn't he? I mean, who 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 could he bring Jack in? Jacarini's your only option. Jacarini, Garden, Garden. If he's back, I mean, he could come in maybe. But you no, know, does, no, thank you. No, nah, um, he doesn't give maybe Jacarini. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, the thing is, what Garner's going to give you is is some steel. I mean, I'm not a biggest biggest fan, but you worry. About, I'd worry about Jacarini as a relying on Jacarini in a central three because he's so inconsistent, hot and cold. Um, well, know. I think we need a better 
better performance from Adam Johnson. Um, mm. He was good at, to be at, fair. He was good at Man City. Mm. He, he was, yeah, because he was clearly clean, clean to impress at Man City on Saturday when I saw him. Yeah, he, and he wasn't he wasn't too bad against Everton. No, but no, I think he was one of the poorer ones at Chelsea. I'd agree. I made a fool of myself when he missed that chance and I was in a pub in Leeds and he went through and I was up and I was the only one and I was dressed as Slash from Guns N' Roses on this <laughs> pub crawl and I was going ballistic when he messed that up and uh, I think I cleared the pub I think uh, a lot of people were walking out in uh, embarrassment on my behalf So and I was being heckled by his stag was this on some, was this fans. on for the Man City yeah, for the Man for the Chelsea game, yeah. So you you now know that you're going to have to wear that slash costume I know. on Sunday. I know. I've and carry that momentum, that, that good luck charm, <laughs> going as momentum as yeah, we as we keep yeah. talking about. Yeah, the the hair's a bit high, I think, for the uh, for the for the, <laughs> for the uh, people behind us. Okay, now. The View from the Ninian was a podcast started by Ben James and Adam Davies. It was the original Cardiff City podcast. They produced more than 25 episodes before Vincent Tan's rebrand caused both to become a little disillusioned with the football club. So we're glad to say that we've got Ben James on the line now to tell us a little bit more about that. He still writes blogs for the likes of the Metro and does does TV and radio stuff as well. Um, I'm glad we've got somebody who was who was feeling like this, uh, Ben, because I think a lot of football fans relate to it, the way some some aspects of the modern game are, is going. Um, would Would you like to sort of elaborate elaborate a little bit? Tell us, um, you know, how it started from your point of view. Yeah, of course. Good evening, gents. Um, yeah, so Cardiff City fan, been been going to watch Cardiff City sort of twenty 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 three years now. Um, obviously, a couple of summers ago, it was it was quite a big deal that Vincent Tan, who's a, a Malaysian billionaire, kind of took over our football club and decided that he didn't like the blue kit, he didn't like the, the traditional badge that we operated with, and he he just came in and changed it to a red kit and a, and a badge that they designed themselves behind the scenes. So um, yeah, we've kind of become the the poster boys, as it were, for for everything that's wrong with modern football. I think <laughs> kind of people see that we've sold our soul for, for a bit of cash and, and the limelight which is kind of a little bit fair enough I think and what, what's the ratio like though because with fans who are sort of in the same boat as you um, because there must be some who's sort of looking at things and saying well it's the first time we've ever been in the Premier League we, you know yeah. we, 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 how's it, what's the ratio like it's, it's really it's really hard to, to kind of pin down demographics I think originally it was kind of 100% against it and then as time went on and they realised that Vincent Tan was pumping money in and kind of taking us to the Premier League, I think more and more people kind of accepted it almost. Whether it's reluctantly or not, they kind of accepted it. And then I think now this season, as you know, with everything with Malky Mackay and, and everything else, I think most fans, I'd say 70 to 80% of fans are against the red. There are a few people who seem to have embraced it and, and loved the red and then the rest have kind of walked away from it. I know a lot of people who've walked away from the club because... They don't like what what the clubs become and what the fans are doing, kind of thing. How are you individually then? Do you, are you sort of on? Because I was talking to you earlier, obviously through email, and I, yeah. sort of, I sort of sensed that you were on the verge of just packing it all in almost. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's a weird one for me because the the kind of news of the rebrand from blue to red broke after we lost to, to West Ham in the playoff final a couple of years ago, and at that point I was live, uh, playoff semi final. Sorry, I was living in London, so I was kind of almost um distracted from it and taken out of the out of the firing line as it were and i didn't have a season ticket for the season we won the championship where the red kit had first come in and then i got a season ticket for the premier league this year and i kind of thought you know i might be able to go down watch the games and kind of forget all about the kit but it's just so it's so prominent that it's red and it just doesn't feel like my my football club anymore you know cardiff city were blue we were the bluebirds and I've kind of tried to, to get over that this year, but I can't I can't accept the red. And Vincent Tan as a chairman this season has also shown that he's he just doesn't belong in football and he doesn't belong running a football club. And it's kind of pushed me to the edge where next season, in the season ticket renewals were up, and I just I'm, I'm not bothering. I don't want to give them any more of my money. I mean, from the outside, Ben, this spat with Crystal Palace about the the league team just looks yeah. ludicrous as well. I mean, it's it happens every every club in football every week. He, I know, yeah, I do. I do see that, and I think that the way it came out was utterly ridiculous. But as I, I don't, I don't know what the Premier League have, have found out this week, because they started their investigation this week. But I think there's there's a suggestion down here certainly that there was more to it than just a text message revealing the team. There was talk that Pulis was acting in a very underhand manner, 
and that Premier League rules have actually been broken. Now, when it first broke, I was I was of the agreement that it was just complete sour grapes. You know, we, Crystal Palace battered us. So there's no two ways about it that they deserve to beat us. But if Pulis has acted in a in an underhand manner and has kind of got confidential information out of the, out of the team in a way that he shouldn't have, then I think they should be punished. But I don't think the result should be rescinded. It's a joke that we want the result rescinded. You know, it's like you say, it happens every week. And I think McGath came out, didn't he, for Fulham and said that he'll yeah, be asking yeah. who his Holt be and that kind of thing. And yeah. I think, you know, it does happen every week. It's just we can't seem to take take anything <laughs> as it is and it's turned the club into a circus, really. Well, I, I mean, I was, I was down at Cardiff over Christmas for the Sunderland game. And, oh, yeah. uh, the image of Vincent Tan booing the team yeah. after callbacks late <laughs> equaliser. That was incredible. Will, will live with me for a long time. That was incredible. Yeah, that was kind of every week we seem to have a new Nadir. Like when Malky Mackay was sacked, that was a low point. When Ian Moody was sacked originally, that was a low point. And then when he booed the team off the pitch, I think we just <laughs> we reached the lowest point. And most fans probably walked away from that game and went, "Oh, he booed the team, did he?" No one was surprised. No. He's just he's he's an absolute idiot. I mean, we've had stories come out this season of him kind of early games in the season when things might not have been going so well or it was nil nil at half time. Vincent Tan would send Simon Lim, who's the, the chief executive or his puppet really, down to the dressing room to try and get Malky to change the tactics and Malky Mackay would just lock him out and say, No, yeah. you're not coming in And it's just you know, it's one thing after another with Vincent Tan, he just can't keep his fingers out of it. Just on the on the Mackay really it's interesting. I mean the results weren't Great. Um, is that was that down to his managerial ability? And obviously, he got sacked, and he was yeah. popular with I know, I'm dodgy not, signings as yeah. well, wasn't there? Well, it's the, the reason that Malky Mackay and Ian Moody got sacked was that they overspent in the summer. Um, Ian Moody has since come out and said that they had an agreed budget that they kept within about four million pounds of that budget, and Ian Moody has a spreadsheet to show it. And then the reason that Mackay has been sacked is was put down to the kind of financial imprudence they said. Um, I, you know, I think the signings they made in the summer were okay. You know, the one, the main ones, Colker, Medell, um, they've all kind of done well. It was Cornelius that was the one that kind mm. of um, caused the most problem because he didn't really play. And I, I think he came on against you guys for the he second did, half. Yeah. And didn't do anything. I don't think he, he didn't do anything, but we didn't give him a chance. No. Um, and I think on the results side of things, you know, when Markey was in charge, I think when he got sacked, we've got 18 points from 19 games. So at the halfway mark, we we're on 18 points. And I think if by the end of the season if that had continued and we ended up on 36 points we would have stayed in the league because yeah. you know the, the way things are going you're going to need about 33 points to stay in the league um, and I don't think that the results were down to Marky Mackay's management style at all I think we, we played defensive football but that was because we were a new team in the Premier mm. League and I think they were trying to be a bit too cautious but when Ian Moody was sacked we were looking at that was kind of start of October it was like a two and a half month campaign against yeah. Marky Mackay of unsettling him within the club you saw results just drop drop off from a point and it can be traced back to that moment, really. So I think what was happening was the uncertainty off the pitch was just getting to the players on the pitch, which is fair enough, really. What about Solskjaer? What do you, what do you make of him so far? Oh, it's just, he's a new, he's a tinker man incarnate, I think. He kept an unchanged team for the first time in about 12 games the other day. Um, he's got the right idea about football. He wants to play positive attacking football and, you know, he's kind of lined up with Noon much. Um, he's tried to give Zaha a go, who's been pretty useless. He's got this lad in, Mats Molodali from um, Molder, who's, you know, he's, he's an incredible talent. But I just don't think he's he's the right man for the job when we were in the relegation battle, you know. We, when Gulitz was sacked, a lot of people said we should have gone for him just to galvanise the team. And I think... Solskjaer's got a lot of good ideas. It'd be good for a team who are in the mid-table pushing for Europe, that kind of thing. But when you're battling for relegation, you just need someone to kind of shut up shop and have a siege mentality. And he's just, defensively, we've just shipped too many goals. And he's, 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 he's came out, hasn't he, and said that you probably need six points to stay up, which sounds about right, I think. Um, yeah. But with Chelsea up last, you're going to have to win this game, you feel, aren't you? So a kind of going to come out and... and Go for it, do you think? Or do you think there will be sort of a game plan still? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a cup final, isn't it, on Sunday for both of us? I think I think the first half an hour is going to be very cagey. But as the game kind of... I think we'll, we'll have to come out and attack because we can't come all the way up to Sunderland in a game that is must-win and, and sit back and defend because... If we, if, you know, if we get a point, that's useless to both of us, isn't mm. it? Mm. It is. And I think... You know, Barini's come out this week and said a lot of teams have sat back, and that's why they've got good results. That's what we've struggled with, yeah. That's what we've struggled with. 
So, I mean, do, do we take that on board and sit back or do we just come out and go go for it? I think we do need to go for it. And we've got attacking power who can, you know, people like Much, Fraser Campbell, who you know well, has, you know, he's been really good for us this season. He's just lacked support. We've also got Kenwin Jones, who I'd rather not play, but <laughs> I don't, he's due a, he, he, if he's due a goal at any point, it's against the former club. Yeah, so. absolutely. They'll what get a couple eight. Jones and Campbell up front, they'll probably get a couple eight. Nailed on, yeah. isn't it? The thing, the thing I'd say about the, the whole, what I've seen of Carter this season, with the whole sitting back and defending thing, I just I get the impression that they're they're not quite good enough to do that. Maybe the score goals, uh, don't they? they? Score yeah. a lot of goals, but seem to concede a lot. That that's my yeah. sort of, especially under Solskjaer, who seems a bit. I don't know. To be honest, like from an outside looking in, I'm not a really not a very big fan of him. But I think he, I find no. him a little bit irritating. I find uh, he sort of reminds <laughs> me. Right. <laughs> I just, I think he sort of reminds me of a bit of a De Canio light, honestly. Really? Like, yeah. He thinks yeah, he's he, a bit of a bantosaurus afterwards. And yeah, he's like, he does. Yeah. And it's like just get just talk about the football and go away. Like <laughs> I don't need to know what you think about Manchester United. I don't need you know about you would play on Ferguson, whatever. Just you know. I think he's trying to sort of like schmooze things a little bit like since he's come in he's been a little bit cocky for my liking he's got a difficult job because he's he's representing a football club that is just run by idiots and you know that from from everyone at the top you know from from the from the chairman Vincent Tan to his CEO to the kind of messages that we put out in the press things aren't great for the football club and a lot of you know at the start of the season when we beat Man City everyone was like oh Cardiff City Malky Mackay good almost honor, you know, honourable football club on the pitch but as the season's gone on, they've seen that you know there's a poison within the football club, and it's. I think Solskjaer's kind of seen himself as the public face. So he's mm. trying to be smiley. He's trying to be nice to the press. He's trying to get a few sound bites in, and it's just not working because it, unless the results are going on the pitch, no one gives a, no one gives a, a crap what you have to say. Really, he's, al- he's almost had to do that though, hasn't he? Because mm. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's, it's been publicised the, the things that's going on there. So he's he's came in, and everybody's sort of saying he would be mad to take that job. I mean, from your yeah. perspective, you're probably looking at him thinking. Is he qualified enough to take this job? But the general perspective from the you know the media and the, and the broader public was he would be mad to take that job. So he's got yeah. to kind of come in and put a brave face on things, hasn't he, Chris? He's in a absolutely. You, you know, Chris working in the media, it's a bit of a no-win situation for him, isn't it? Well, exa- exactly. And in the situation that he was in, I I was almost surprised that he actually took it in the end. That's but, what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I suppose it, it's the desperation to manage in the Premier That's League, it. and he thought maybe my window of opportunity is cl- starting to close. Yeah. yeah, I think that that was it. You know, he we were down here. We were all amazed that someone like him, because there'd been all this talk before he came in that he'd, he'd been linked with every club going, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and there was all this talk that he would choose a chairman, not the yeah. club, so he'd mm. go in and work with. And for him to choose Vincent Tan <laughs> was just—it was unbelievable, really. And we couldn't quite believe it. And we thought we'd done quite well getting him in, but it's, it's slowly kind of transpired over time that he's—he was obviously very good for Molder, but it's a different kettle of fish fighting relegation in, you know, one of the most the toughest leagues in the world. So I think it was just maybe the right move for him, but completely the wrong time. Maybe he's just thinking if it goes terribly. Then I can just blame the fact that I was working under Vincent Tan, mm. and it, it well, gets him off the hook. Maybe a bit, he can say, "Well, yeah, this I've, happened and that I've happened." I said that a little while ago that it was always going to be that Solskjaer was going to come in, and no matter what happens, he was going to get away blameless yeah. because the previous regime would blame Marky Mackay. They would blame the money that was spent in the summer that never gave them the the kind of emphasis or the the impetus they needed to push on in the Premier League. And Solskjaer will be able to say, "Well, look what I'm working with." You know, it's it is like you say, it is win-win for him. Right, I want to ask the lads in the studio about the Sunderland lineup. Um, Dave Jones mentioned earlier that he thought we should possibly change the team, but wasn't on the same page as all of us. Are we thinking that Virginie or Bardsley will be the only sort of I think deliberation? So, yeah, yeah Key will still be out, and I think you're better off using Jacarini off the bench. Mm. I mean, he's made a new. He's an imp- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A, a decent contribution the last two games when he's come on. Uh, and I'd agree, Virginia Barsley is the only real dilemma and I think you've got to stick with Virginia after his last two performances I'd stick he? with Virginia as well I'd give him more licence going forward as well I think it's we, we, we spoke earlier tomorrow about momentum and, and breaking momentum now it just seems that it would be crazy doesn't it to sort of break that momentum in the in the manner that he has with his, with a his side he's picked to, to then go and change it Yeah, I know it's only one it. player and Bards he's popular but it's just you don't want you know you don't want to change anything, do you? You're almost no. it's like a it's like a plunk almost, isn't it? You just want to leave things as they are. Especially you don't want to pull you, that straw Especially out. when you're bedding a player in. I mean, he's bedding Virginia in really, um, yeah. and he's probably going to be around next season regardless because I imagine they'll convert his his loan deal. He'll want to because he likes him. Um, so I'd play him. I mean, Bardsley, you know, he's come out now or there's stories now saying oh he might fancy it. It's like well he didn't fancy it ten days ago and we're nailed on for relegation. I, d- I don't think that's I don't think that's been the issue. I think I think he's always been happy to say I think it's okay. more, been more the length of the contract. All oh, right, okay, mm. yeah. Is well, it, the shorter the better because then he seems to play better when he, he's playing. Well, of course for he does. I've been saying this for I've been saying this for yonks. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, is there is there a case for Craig Garner at all, Chris? Because one <laughs> one thing we we keep saying though about Seb Larson is he evidently plays better on the back foot. When we play the sides who come at us, uh, I suppose he's very disciplined and he's he's quite you know an integral part of that counter attack style. But at home, when you need to dictate the game, that's why he notoriously struggles, isn't it? I'd, I'd say though that I think he was probably the pick of the three midfielders mm. last weekend. I think Catmull was caught in possession on, a few on the times. Back foot though, yeah, again, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I think I think I, I just don't think you can change I, I, that I, I, team I for the last two I, games. No, I, I wouldn't either. I'm just I'm just wondering. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there, really, because there isn't there isn't too much much to talk about. I mean, <laughs> I do think we, we're, times, we're not used to yeah. beating Chelsea where we're going to say like leave things as they are. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you think that there's a lack of options, which we've discovered in the the fact that he's trying to make changes in formation and, and whatnot in the team itself to try and get results, and you know it doesn't really work. He's found something that works. Yes, all the players have got limitations. I mean, Larson, yeah, he plays better when we're on the back foot, but you know. It's like, well, who else are you going to bring? Well, Gardner, right? Without, okay, without, well, without you're going to bring Jack Rini in, who's like was absolutely woeful when oh. he played the point of that central midfield three that yeah. people have been craving. Yeah. Um, that we pushed for on here as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, um, I think I just you know you got to stick with the so same are we, side. Are we all agreed in here then that Sunderland need at least two goals to win this game? The Not necessarily. Cardiff no. haven't scored that. I think the, the I second Card- fewest score goals in the league See, away from home. I'm surprised that because Cardiff seems. I don't know Ben you're going to fill us in on that maybe about Cardiff scoring because it, it seems to me Chris is saying that the, the record in the league is low but away from it, home it is away, away from home yeah, yeah. yeah. but even generally lately it just seems like they're scoring I mean they went to West Brom and got three didn't they in that, in that three West Brom yeah. defence though yeah we, we've had a couple of weird ones we, we lost 6-3 to Liverpool and then drew 3 all with West Brom but then recently we beat Southampton 1-0 and drew 1 all with Stoke and yeah it's, I think it's, it's that time so of the season, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't. We've only scored sort of thirty-one goals over the season, which I think is the lowest in the league, apart from Norwich. Well, have they have they came perhaps when Solskjaer has been here then? Because I, I've noticed definitely in the last few games, a card of seen be scoring. Yeah, I goals. think so. I think in the first half of the season, we were beating West. We beat West Brom one 0 beat Swansea one 0 I think the only time we scored three was when we beat Man City three two. Then in the second half of the season, we kind of. We scored two at Man City. We scored three against Liverpool, three at West Brom. We beat Nor- uh, Fulham 3-1, beat Norwich 2-1. So we have kind of scored more goals in the second half of the season. I think that the system we play doesn't lend itself to scoring many goals because Campbell's up front by himself. So he's he does lead the line well, but it, it means that he doesn't get the opportunities because he's either getting out wide to put crosses in or whatever else. So I think, yeah, I think, it's, I don't know, it's against West Brom we got three and the last one came in the final minute and... Oh, I don't know. We we do need to score goals, though, especially Sunderland, because you've got goals in your team. I think you know. People, <laughs> Not at home. <laughs> <laughs> right, prediction time, people! <laughs> Hooray! 
<laughs> ben, do you want to start for us? I'm going to go Cardiff 3-1. Fight and talk. Garros? Yeah, no, I'd, I'm, I'm not usually um, optimistic with these predictions, but I just feel I've got to go for it now. Late in the season, you know. Yeah, yeah you're doing your bit. Don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to say... 4-1 to Sunderland Jesus I've just Christ. got a bizarre I've just got this feeling that we're going to do what hap- like what we did to Fulham um, I just went to watch West Brom Cardiff um, Fulham, Fulham, had, Fulham had to try and dictate that game though. we just def- picked them off didn't mm, we that was a but difference defend, yeah. they just can't defend like I've seen like it's funny like I, I know, obviously Cardiff have kept a couple of clean sheets recently um, which you know maybe yeah. something's clicked that I haven't seen or something but when I've seen Cardiff defensively you just look ragged at times I know Colk has actually been pretty good but you know you, you need obviously there's four of them but the back and it's just there's gaps and there's, it's ragged and stuff and I just fancy when we've played teams like that people like Johnson and Barini they're dangerous and now Wickham's in form and if he can hold it and and bring people in I don't know I just fancy us to to maybe uh, to to do something. I mean, well, would you a heavy would you a heavy victory? Been as well? saying that for four years or something. Yeah. Chris, do you want to introduce some sanity to this segment of the show? I, I I tend to think that Cardiff's need to win as much as Sunderland's um, will really work in Sunderland's favour. I think, I think so the fact well, that they've yeah. got to come out, they've got to go for the victory. I think they'll leave holes, and I think Sunderland will probably exploit one or two of them. Score specific score. 2-1 two, 2-1 one. Two, one. <laughs> Not that many holes exploited <laughs> yeah. then Just the two Two's more than they have done at home yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think Cardiff's score I was going to go for 2-1 Sunderland as well Right okay Before we move on to the question of the week um, Just play a little clip from earlier on When Gareth and myself spoke to Geordie Craddock Regarding his testimonial <laughs> Delighted to say that Geordie Craddock joins us on the line now. Now, I'm sure everybody is aware about Geordie's testimonial, but we'll just get him to outline a little bit about what's happening on the day. Geordie, do you want to just tell us quickly about it? Yeah, of course. Um, the testimonial game is May the 5th, um, and it's a, a Wolves, Wolves 11 against uh, Sunderland 11. You know, a couple of celebs chucked in there to buffer it out a bit, and uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be a great game and uh, yeah, it'll be a chance to. To, for the fans to see a, a few of the old famous faces that used to play up at Sunderland. Mm, six years at Sunderland and, and ten at Wolves. Now, in this day and age, if anybody stays at a club for three years, this it's sort of acknowledged as being loyal. So I suppose it was a no-brainer for you to to match these clubs up and create this this fixture. Exactly. You know, right at the start when I got offered the, the testimonial, you know, my heart said, you know, I wanted a Wolves Sunderland game. I wanted, I wanted. Hey, look! I don't know how many Sunderland fans are going to be able to make it down. I know it's a, a, a long, long trip for them to get down, but um, you know, my heart said that that's the two teams that I want to get get involved and uh, yeah, you know, be there, be a thousand fans, ten thousand fans, whatever. You know, that, that's what I wanted to do, and uh, yeah, it's like a, it's kind of a thank you to the fans. You know, they've, they've been so great, both Sunderland and Wolves. You know, when I was up there with my family, not just just football, with my family, you know, they were, they were brilliant. So. Uh, it's a chance for me to say thank you and uh, yeah a goodbye but you know I'll still be there but it's a kind of a goodbye from the football pitch really Niall Quinn and Kevin Phillips is the obvious link up that Sunderland fans are looking forward to seeing I think um, you were of course a part you know that, that special memory we, we speak about it all the time how people think back to when the stadium first opened and a couple of success well three successful seasons under Raiders is there any other sort of people you, you're particularly looking forward to see or you haven't seen for a while well, you know, I haven't seen most of them, but players like Alex Ray, um, Mickey Gray. You know, Mickey Gray was an absolute legend up at Sunderland. He'd been there for years. I think even he had a testimony when he was up there, didn't he? So, uh, yeah. you know, players like that, Tommy Sorensen, you know, big Daz Williams, you know, I sent our partnership. Uh, Daz Holloway was down to play. I think he just pulled his hamstring last week. So that wasn't very good, but he's still coming down to support. Uh, Gab McCann, you know, another good player that was, you know, he played when we were in the Premiership. So, uh, yeah, it's just be nice to see get the lads together. It's not, you know, we haven't had the chance to get back together since, well, since I left anyway. But I don't know about everybody else, but they've had the chance to get back together. But you know, I doubt it because you know, football's a busy, a busy life, and uh, you know, players are moving on constantly. What was the move like initially for you, Jordy? Obviously, it was a, a big club, a new stadium, and things didn't 
initially start great in that first season once we were relegated from the Premier League. It's, it sort of pulled itself around and sorted itself out by the end. But a lot of managers and players come to Sunderland and it's happening now even with, with Gus Poyet and some of these players who were struggling to cope with the pressure and they all comment to a man about the culture shock up here in the North East. What, what was that like for you? Well, do you know what? The, the, the people were fantastic. The, the only downside was the wind. The <laughs> wind and the weather. Yeah, it's cold and windy. So I can understand foreign people coming in and not enjoying the, the, you know, the weather. But as far as people go, absolutely fantastic. You know, I've never come across nice people in my life. And uh, I've always said that, always stuck by that. You know, from the first minute I stepped foot in Sunderland to the, to the minute I left and, and, and continually. Um, so for me... I did, it wasn't the pressure there because I didn't know what the pressure was. I, I wasn't used to being a footballer. I didn't know. I just it was just nice to be earning money as a kid. You know, I had a job. You know, it was a job. I had I was earning money, and uh, it was something that I absolutely you know, loved doing. So I didn't feel that pressure. You know, and I just embraced what was around me. And uh, yeah, it was a bit frustrating when it was windy in pre-season <laughs> and cold, and the players had their gloves on. But but other than that, uh, you, know, you just just get on with it and you just learn to cope with it. Was there a particular moment in your Sunderland career where where you sort of stepped back and thought, "Okay, I've I've kind of made it as a as a professional footballer here." Um, I suppose when I made my debut, you know, um, I think I made my debut. I played alongside Daz Williams, and uh, I think it was that first season where we got, you know, where we got to the got to play at Wembley. I think you know that's quite a big step for me as the, being the player that I was. Just come from Cambridge, you know, I've been at Cambridge four years. And come straight out of school to do that. So, excuse me, it was kind of at that point where I thought, well, you know, I've to, I worked really hard to get to achieve this, to get to this point. And, and yes, it wasn't a matter of, oh, yeah, I've made it, I've done it. No, it wasn't. You know, I had still had a long, long way to go. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, you know, you need to, as a footballer, sustain a career. You know, if you can get to 20 years as a footballer, yes, you've been you've been successful you know it's, it's tough for players to stay in the game and uh, and maintain it and you know a lot drop out for injury and a lot as they get older then just can't you know cope with the pace of the game and you know it's difficult so I think overall that is my biggest achievement you know managing a 20 20 year career I think people of a certain age Geordie sort of Gareth and I are a similar age um, sort of late 20s early 30s and people remember your side I think with 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 the utmost affection, really. Um, I th- am I right in remembering that when we promoted initially, that sort of um, Paul Butler, Steve Ball start of the season, centre half. Yep. But but yep. uh, am I right in thinking that one of the most memorable games at the Stadium of Light was when we beat Chelsea four one, and that you and Darren sort of got back together in that position in that game? Am I right in thinking yeah. that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know, as a, as a young, I was a young player there playing, so to. You know, for, for, to embody to be ahead of me, you know, that's what happens. That's what happens in football, and that goes on throughout your whole career for, for any age of player. So, it's, you know, it's just a step you have to take. You're learning from these players. These players were fantastic players, and uh, but yeah, you kind of wait your wait your turn and your opportunity in it, in it from when it comes along. Make sure you work hard. You know, whilst you're off the pitch, and uh, if it comes along, then then you try and take it with both hands and uh, do the best you can. And unfortunately for me and Daz. That was has been a club longer than me, but uh, yeah, you know, we kind of took our opportunity and we, and we worked well together as a partnership. So, uh, you know, it, it helps a lot when you've got a partner that, that you you can, you know, you can read each other's game pretty well. And uh, we we had a way of playing which which worked for us. I can I, I was sitting in the north stand that day, and I, I can remember Kevin Phillips' goal against Chelsea in that four-one. I can remember yeah. that. I can visualise that when I shut my eyes, like it was right in front of me. Can you do the same? Yeah. You know what? I've played so many games. I can remember playing at Newcastle and beating them at their place. Uh, there's a lot of things I can't remember. So you, you know, I've had a lot of hits from the head over my career and a lot of head bandages, so I kind of forget quite a bit. But uh, I will get snippets of games, and uh, no, unfortunately, I can't remember that one. But you know, there's lots of fantastic memories which uh, I'm not slipping in mind. So on on the on the fifth of May, will you be? Appearing for both sides, or will he be playing for Wolves for the full ninety minutes, or is it half and a yeah, half? Yeah, this is a, this is a question I've been asked. Uh, you know, of course, I'm starting at starting for the Wolves team. That would go without saying. And yes, I, I I can see myself swapping over at some point onto the Sunderland team. You know, I think I need to do that. And uh, 
Yeah, I'll actually get through 90 minutes. That's the question. <laughs> Can I get through 90 minutes? So we'll see. We'll just see how it pans out on the day, I think. You've definitely picked up a bit of a brummy accent, Jordy. I can I can tell that by speaking here. <laughs> oh, great. Well, you know what? I was born in Redditch, which is the Midlands anyway. Oh, okay, so right, okay. If I, was, if I didn't have a brummy accent, then I'd be, you know, I'd be uh, pretty blessed. Well, my my wife's from Redditch, so there's a little fact for you there. Oh, okay. Oh, then you'll know, you'll know how, how broad it is down there. No, it's not that. It's not that. It's not too broad actually in Redditch. It's all not like... as broad as Dudley. Dudley's, Dudley's extremely broad, so uh, but no, I'm uh, not quite that broad. So obviously. You know, you've you've been retired for what is it? Year just over a year now, officially. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, I know I know you were doing your a lot of artwork and stuff like that. Is that the sort of thing? Are you still sort of carrying that on? And yeah, that's it. You know, I'm, a, I'm now a professional artist, and uh, you know, I love it. You know, I ran that alongside my football when I you know when I was a, a player, and uh, I've continued. You know, it's been quite a nice transition from from football to art. I've just continued it, and I have to spend more time in it. Yes, it's a it's a different world, and I need to spend a lot more time pushing things and uh, get my stuff out there and, and self promoting. And uh, you know, as a footballer, you don't need to do any of that stuff. And uh, but as an artist, you do you need to push work in people's faces. It's uh, quite a snobby world, the art world. Uh, you know, <laughs> people sometimes won't even you know look at you. Oh, you're a footballer. Yeah, you know, that, that's not even going to bother looking at your stuff. But you know, you just continue to go, you know, like I do my football, just continue plugging on and, and doing my work and believing that my stuff's good enough and, uh, yeah, just do different things. You know, I've got different little exhibitions here and there and it, it's slowly, the ball is starting to, to roll and, it's, uh, you know, I'm enjoying it. I, you know, I'll do it anyway, so I'll always paint. So, you know, if I can sell them, fantastic. John, tell us a little bit about your charity as well. Charity, yes, but, uh, Birmingham Children's Hospital. Basically, they're trying to raise four million for... Um, Ward 15, which is a children's cancer ward, which my son spent um, two months on, basically. He's got, he got diagnosed with leukaemia over, over two years ago now. Um, and yes, so we spent eight weeks on that ward, solid, and now he's in, now he's, now he has treatment off the ward and, uh, and, and at home, and uh, you know, it's a free course, it's a three-year course. Like I said, he's over two years into it. He's doing fantastic. Um, so yeah, they're trying to raise four million to just make it a better place for the children, for the families that have to visit and sleep there. You know, it's a tough, tough time, and uh, if they can raise that money, they will do the ward up, make it just a lot easier. You know, it's not easy by any stretch, but it will make it that little, little bit more comfortable for these children, for the families, and you know, anything can help. Anything that that can help, you know, for something that is, you know, which is not nice. It's it's a it's, it's a tough place to be seeing these children. That are poorly, so uh, anything that can help is a uh, is a fantastic, it's fantastic. So uh, yeah, that's the charity I'm uh, involved in a testimonial, which is, which is a fantastic charity. Okay, utmost uh, respect for you there. I think Jordy, everybody would agree. Sort of fathers like myself couldn't imagine going through that kind of thing. So. As Jody said, the testimonial is at Molyneux, Monday, May the 5th, which is a bank holiday, yep. of course. You can get the tickets only online, www.wolves.co.uk. Prices are £10 for adult, 5 for concessions, um, under which is under 17 and over 65s, or £20 for a family ticket, which gets you two adults and two children. Everything there, Jody. anything else you want to add? That's everything, thank you. Just come down and, and look, even if you don't like football, come down because, you know, portion of that money will be going to a charity so and it's a fantastic charity so so come down and enjoy the day hopefully the weather will be nice as well and just one word can someone stay up this season oh they better do you know i came up and watched the uh, the newcastle game and it was fantastic and i looked at that team and thought this team is going to stay in the, is going to stay in the premiership um and the results i've had lately the, you know the, the, the couple of results i've had have been you know really really awesome results so you know what? They've just got to keep. They've got to keep it up. It's, it's not going to be easy, and it's going to be really tight. But you know, they've got to just believe that they can do it. They've beaten the top teams, so so why not now just win the win the remaining games and be safe? So fingers crossed. It's not going to be easy, but you know, I like to think they will. Okay, we'll finish on question of the week as always. Well mostly always mm. when we can be bothered yeah, recently, yeah we give fair. we give uh, posh tickets away for the Cardiff game mm, last yeah. week normal tickets yeah these are just standard bog standard yeah uh, with, tickets the, with the scum there was more entries yeah. funnily enough <laughs> yeah. people are just used to it aren't they yeah, yeah, people yeah, just I, want the bog standard people stuff. are too proud <laughs> 
nowadays to take the to take the posh tickets. Yeah, so the question of the week this week. Um just trying to jig up a bit of sort of heart for the weekend and sort of try and remind people, you know, we all fell in love with Sunderland once, didn't we? And even though it's tough sometimes. But yeah, so what's your defining Sunderland moment and why and, and or why does Sunderland hold a special place in your heart? Um probe your music, I think. So um, Yarny with um, my dad pulling the lanterns top over my head outside the West Stand before the Ajax game. He fell in love when we got inside. Ross Farnham Collier, my dad sent me a reserve game at Roker Park. That's all it took. Uh, Gary Thompson, uh, FA Cup run in 92, replay against Chelsea. Armstrong header at the moment. And uh, the semi in the cop at um, Sheffield Wednesday. And he was really proud. Um, David Moore, um, uh, the blast of Prokofiev before his first ever game against uh, Spurs in 2001 he was absolutely shaking and there's nothing like it uh, Tom Huntley um, walked away from Roker Park, Roker Park after a nil-nil with Bury when he was about 8 and asking his dad I had to, if he, asking his dad if he had to support Sunderland and he said yes I have to, I have to do it so you have to too I think we've all been there um, Carl De Cruz said the 92 cup run and John Burns still his hero um, Kenny Amore um, mine has nothing to do with the team. It was the fans. Wimbledon away when we got relegated. First time he's never, first time, and he'd never seen anything like it. And London was a sea red and white, and he fell in love instantly. Uh, Neil uh, said the third division season, age seven or eight, watching his heroes from the main stand seats, lush green surface under floodlights at night games. Uh, Mac and Rob, the Carlos Edwards screamer versus Burnley, forty seconds from our box to back the net to find the next seven years. That's the. That's a good. That's he's been presented that quite well, hasn't he? Yeah. Because when we spoke about doing this question, we said you know yeah. there's going to be some obvious answers yeah. here, and the Carlos Edwards goal was one. But I think yeah. he's he's summed that up quite nicely, yeah. isn't he? So uh, Nigel Stevens, the uh, first half demolition of Chelsea in '99, uh, quite simply the best football he's ever witnessed. And I remember that game and thinking at half time if I was actually going to leave the ground alive because I thought it was dead because I couldn't believe it was actually happening. Uh, Jonathan Bryant, uh, Covent Garden before Brentford away in Division Three, only <laughs> ground with a pull on each corner. Um, Miepstai, so they're Barnsley 1987, um, lost 3-2 and first show me have something and snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, Sarah Harris again, 92 at Wembley and she was 11 and uh, and she knew that then to be so disappointed she must truly love Sunderland. I was 11-2 and I couldn't get a ticket for the final yeah. which I was gutted about. You've mentioned that a few yeah, times. not over it. Um, uh, Ryan Frost, um, he was a member of the Black Hats Club when he was six days old. Um, but the 3-0 win at Chelsea was on his 18th birthday um, Tom uh, Watford away 99 uh, McCann from 30 yards 1-3-2 the first game he remembers and he was in the wrong end um, on his uncle's uh, Watford season ticket and the sight of our fans celebrating is something we don't often get to witness from the outside but it was brilliantly manic uh, David James um, his was the 75-76 season um, first full year supporting the lads uh, Easter Monday beating Bolton to win promotion in front of 51,000 start the music again Stephen because we've run out um, uh, Nick Wiseman said uh, Sunderland beating West Ham 2-0 Roker Park in May 1980 full house oh what are you doing Stephen <laughs> don't touch anything um, yeah uh, whenever yeah. I start again it's on my fault there's advertisements yeah, yeah. on it full house with um, thousands lot out in the spring evening source promoted class uh, Lewis his favourite one with Sunderland was Southampton away in the 06-07 promotion season and Sunderland owed a special place in his heart as he's had so many great memories watching Sunderland play since he was a kid uh, Mark Harvey for some reason it's his first game he can remember his uh, getting beaten 8-0 at Vic Ridge Road on the 25th of September 1982 oh start as you mean to go on uh, David Thurwell um, Sellers part in 97 again sank from start to finish went down but applauded by the opposition fans tears and pride together uh, David Westgarth um, singing Mitty Gray's name after that penalty um, and the speech Quinn gave after the playoff final and the season that followed I think that was probably a time when you know if you were young enough to enjoy it then it was something special that, that few years uh, Glenn Cardi standing with his mum at Wembley 1-0 up in the final and her wearing my late granddad's scarf he's the reason we're all supporting Sunderland um, Mark Wembley 85 as a kid the walk to the game the atmosphere the tears yet there's still the constant singing of the lads amazing um, John Marshall uh, the steps up to the Fulwell end uh, the lush green glass and the mixed smells of Bovril Regal King Size and Coke Fires and the little Italian guy used to shout programme at the bottom of the Fulwell <laughs> end steps I remember that from a yeah, kid yeah. 
Algie, Algie Henderson <laughs> invading the pitch of Blackpool and shaking Dennis Smith's hand only in my second game and I had asked my mate who he was uh, Connor Smith said, uh, hooligans are gonna win. Yeah, all because of Jeff Whitley <laughs> uh, Gaz Humble said in my first memory is an 8 year old watching us win the FA Cup final in 73 in 73 then having a street party it's alright for some isn't it mm. uh, Matthew Roddenby Armstrong against Chelsea FA Cup replay at Roker Park what a header elation jubilation if I wasn't hooked before then I was then uh, Danny Mitchell um, Sunderland versus Ajax uh, the opening game at the stadium like his first game he was ever at Standing under the access block in the north stand here in the row, and it was amazement. Uh, Sunderland fan who's got on Twitter, um, the only one, um, said it must it can only be Brentford '87. Our darkest day here was rebirth. Our darkest day here was rebirth with a new team and manager with thousands to see it. And uh, GSD FDM04, we're usually that poor and heartbreaking. When we do something special, it really makes you do feel proud. Uh, defining moment is the cup semi-final versus Man United from ecstasy to suicide within 30 seconds hmm. at some point I had to put one of those ones in because the Sunderland wear. that was ridiculous that cup I, I mean say I've never cried at a football match until that night so it was just oh. mental it was mental though wasn't it take a deep breath after reading all those I know I was out music and you spoiled it by playing it all you had to do was press play again it didn't it didn't it, it, it spun out and went into a different section no, and then I had to go back in from the start and the advertisement comes on because it's popular so Chris, I actually come to Chrissy because obviously as a as an outsider coming in to to Sunderland, is it a fine thing? Is it something? Is it as a fan or as a journalist? Well, just both. I, I, either really, both. Either, yeah, yeah. I'd have a both if you so want to. When, obviously, when you start working for the Echo and stuff like that, and you start covering Sunderland, you know what are your thoughts and. I don't know. As, as defining as a fan, I, st- I mean, I started watching him in '91ish. But I think still my favourite moment. One of my still my favourite moment is Ross Wallace's goal hmm. at Derby and Keane's first game yeah. in charge because it just felt like a start, start of a new year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, that's a good shout. Yeah, that is a good shout. Yeah, well, mine special. would be the rele- keeping with a relegationy thing. Uh, I, I used to sort of go little when I was like five, six at the third division, the odd game here and then. I wasn't really that interested to be fair. Italian ninety got me hooked on football, and my first full season where I remember every game, and I went every single game was the nineteen ninety one season. Um, I remember the first game against Tottenham because what um, Waddle and Gascoigne and Lineker and that were playing. But of course, the Man City away game was my very first away game, and we took fifteen thousand fans down, and I just remember that blew me away that day. Unbelievable. That's what I'd go with for myself. My first, Can I win? My first away game was uh, relegation in 97. <laughs> yeah, so there's a theme here, 15,000 people in uh, at Selhurst Park. Yeah. So, um, mine really... It's, See, it's, I was 16 by then, so I was I was already used to the disappointment. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I think I was 15 or 14 mm. maybe at the time. Um, yeah, mine was uh, more of a... I don't know, it was like an out... And not the football, really. Like, when I used to... Go, my dad used to take us... Um, I hated football. But my dad used to go, and we, used, like to be, that, yeah. we used to be with him on the weekend, and he used to go on the roker end with me and my brother, and he used to just sit on the step at the back under the floodlights, and sometimes there's some lads kicking around, whoever you'd have a you know climb up, try and climb up the floodlight and all that that you couldn't do, and <laughs> now because somebody had some steward had come down and yanked you off and chucked you out, but uh, I so you know, but it was weird. Like I used to sit on the step every week, we'd go and look at the ground, but. I knew that it was good if there was a row at the full well in the second half when we had a corner. So I used to hope there was going to be corners um, because I knew that if we went away, my dad would be happy. But it's weird, like all the things you think about. My dad used to smoke then. I always remember sitting in the back of the car when he'd have uh, his cigarette, uh, sorry, a, a cigar or whatever out the window and like the smoke would blow back through. And I don't know, it's just all, it's all. And then the first time you go and you walk out and you see the pitch and the floodlights. And I don't know, I think that's. Some of the th- you know some it's easier to forget sometimes mm. the reasons why you go and I mean, I, the, you know it's it, and those things. Moved to the stadium you know. in '97, so I was 16 when we yeah. moved to Rock Park. I, I mean, I can remember every single corner, like nook and cranny of Rock Park, as, mm. if, was, as, as if I was there. Mm. Visualize it all. Yeah. Those steps somebody mentioned in the full end for me because I was always yeah. in the full end. But I is would, it? It's a you know I think those are the things like the tr- those are the triggers that. You know, make make. I think those are the things that make football special. It, it brings the emotion, and you spend a lot of your time doing it, and it becomes an obsession. And uh, that was out of a hatred for something, and you know, just gradually developed into a love. And I still remember the first time I actually wanted to go, 
and that was uh, we played Crystal Palace at home. We went in the wrong door. The Echo, I think, were doing an offer where you could get in for a pound. We went in for a pound. They went, we went into the Roker end, but we went in, you know, and used to put the away fans for the big games yeah. in, the, in the Roker end. And we got put in the, in the Palace pit, and then we got escorted through. Still remember what I was wearing? I was wearing this mustard sweatshirt. Christ. I remember... Uh, very details I now the, I remember Nigel Martin was in goal for Palace and he was absolutely brilliant did he I have think. his tash tash yeah I, I, he will have done I if he was a Palace in the Palace days I yeah. think Phil Gray scored a late winner and we, we yeah we won 1-0 um, but yeah it's weird just the things you the things you remember like my starkest memories are from football matches I think but yeah there's my long it's got been found there yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so I win the tickets yeah unfortunately not but who does win the tickets exactly. I mean that's the yeah. uh, any, any any jump out of you there? Anybody want to say the one for me? I would add, mine would be the the ninety eight playoff one when somebody said about the Miss Penny from Mickey Gray and Niall Quinn's speech. The speech uh, was pretty yeah, special, it was wasn't it? Because of what happened after that, yeah. As he, know, as he correctly said, yeah. Came off with the heads held high after a dreadful first half. It was almost you know the season mm-hmm. in encapsulating a match. Mm-hmm. Dreadful first half, second half there was scintillating and somehow mm-hmm. managed to fail at the And all those little things helped make that, didn't they? Yeah, I like I like that one. I quite like the. Um, can't remember which one it was now. So many. <laughs> I right couldn't liked it that much then. No, no, I'm trying to find it, man. Yeah, no. But you should know. I know. I should if, know. If, I should if know. you like it that much and sticks out. All right. Sticks it out did, in your memory. Stick, it did stick out. Um, but I just because I read loads of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I quite like John Marshall's one because you know the. I like the the sensory elements of the match. Which one was that? It was the um, going up the footsteps of the footwell mm. and the grass and the smell of bovril and the smell of cigarettes and the mm. and urine. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> and urine <laughs> and urine. Yeah, yeah. and it depends how close so, yeah, you are. I do like that because I do remember those. They were very symbolic. Yeah. Those steps in the footwell end. Right, would, do we wouldn't let Chris have the deciding vote then? Go for that one. That one. The full end steps. Thing. Okay. As, as Gareth giving us all, all the lesson yeah. in the uh, images that he can conjure up from his youth. Yeah, yeah. I think he's going to write a book on it. <laughs> no, no, I can't. Can't do that. Um, I run out of material after three pages. Um, so yeah, John Marshall. It was at Pinehurst Five. If you want to follow him on Twitter, I don't know. He might have ter- ter- terrific banter. So um, <laughs> find him on there, and you've won two tickets for the Cardiff game, which is lovely. So we'll be in touch to sort out the details so congratulations to you okay I'd like to thank my guests who came on Chris Young from the Sunland Echo of course Gareth as always because I probably don't thank him enough and <laughs> show thanks him very enough credit. much thanks very much well, d- well d- you should be grateful <laughs> uh, Dave Jones of course from Sky and Ben from Cardiff who I'll be honest he was a lot more sort of um, positive than I imagined when I when I emailed chat with him earlier on I thought he was really ended all almost <laughs> trying to put things into perspective we can relate to that being Sunderland fans of course huge game everybody all we ask get is you just there. Yeah, get yourself there please if, if you're one of these who sort of thought you deserved a Wembley ticket deserved in inverted commas and then you, even if you got one or not but you don't normally go and there's always there's genuinely good reasons for that I'm not judging anybody on that but if you can get there try and turn up show your colours as well bring your flag and you know your flag or your scarf or your shirt or whatever and you know the and your voice more whatever, yeah whatever you think about the players um you know they'll yeah. be they'll be long gone yeah um and you know the name of Sunderland is why we're all there so just we'll be behind them from the start yeah. even if it's just for this once thanks for listening everybody over and out. Yeah.